Life on Side B is a ministry of Postership, a missiological ministry equipping church leaders and parents on LGBTQ inclusion and care. You can learn more at PostureShift.com. Also, we want to thank all of our patrons who keep the podcast going through their continued giving. So if you love the podcast and would like to become more involved, consider becoming a patron at Patreon.com slash LifeOnSideB. And now, to continue with our episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Life on Side B podcast. I'm here with a very special guest, a strange man we just pulled off the street. Uh, he seemed interesting. His name is Joel Briggs. Uh, hi, everybody. Hi. Um, Joel, it's a pleasure yes. to see you. I know our, um, our listeners can't see you, but you're a vision. Um, I just wanted to start off the interview just giving you the free space to introduce yourself. So uh, the question we like to ask all our guests at the very beginning is, um, how do you identify and how have you gotten to uh, where you are when it comes to reconciling your sexuality, gender, and faith? Yeah. You can also share more details about your life. I know I just called you a strange man, strange man we pulled you off the street. But. <laughs> well, I am strange. Um, <laughs> the story is in why. Um, yeah, so my name is Joel, Joel Briggs. Um, you can Google me and you'll find all kinds of weird stuff. Um, I am a queer or gay Christian. I use queer. I'm trying to use queer more and more often because I live in Southern California and it's just, it's more inclusive here. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I'm also a fine arts painter and much of my life is spent trying to navigate all of these weird spaces that I find myself in. They kind of all converge in my life. Um, yeah, it's, I grew up in a very, very fundamentalist Christian home. Um, I like to say when people like nod their head and go, oh yeah, I know what you mean. I like to say, you probably don't know what I mean. It's more conservative than you think. It's more fundamentalist than you think. We were the um, evangelical version of the FLDS. Um, so, oh. so, yeah, so, uh, long skirts for the women, um, no shorts for the men, homeschooled all the way through high school, um, wow. pretty, pretty hardcore. So, um, I knew from a very, very young age that I was gay, um, though I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know mm. what, yeah, I didn't know what that meant, but I knew I was, um, and I also knew from a very young age that I loved and was obsessed with art and with um, navigating complex ideas through the form of, form of painting, sculpting, drawing. Um, and I also knew from a very young age that I was quite intrigued with the person of Jesus. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, it's been an interesting go because very often I find in um, intensely artistic circles, um, I'm kind of at odds being a person of faith 
Mm. In intensely queer circles, I'm often at odds with being a person of faith. In intensely religious circles, I'm very at odds for both being intensely artistic and intensely queer. So yeah, so there. So I'm odd, as, yeah. as we all are. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is sort of a side question before I ask anything to further the conversation, but um, being homeschooled, I sense that um, in a lot of the the homeschooled friends that I've had uh, and a lot of their experiences, there's like some kind of freedom that comes with being homeschooled, especially when it comes to the arts for, mm -hmm. for young boys. Yeah. What was that homeschool experience like for being, well, being queer, but yeah. being intensely artistic as well? Intensely artistic does sound like a euphemism for being queer. Just going to throw <laughs> that out there. But So <laughs> but uh, yes. it's funny that you say that, to side note off of that. It's funny that you say that because I find being queer in very artistic, especially fine arts world. The fine arts world is different than just like... Mm -hmm. Um, if I was in the comic book art world industry or like yeah. illustration industry, the um, fine arts world is actually very straight. Oh. It's very straight. Interesting. Um, yes. And I know we have like famous, famous painters like, um, like totally blanking on his name he did a he did a series of beautiful massive portraits um, and massive landscape paintings in um, England um, anyways we have we have some very very famous gay painters mm -hmm. the um, overwhelming majority of painters are fine arts painters are straight and so I've, it's it's been a little odd being in that space being being gay and so it's funny growing up, the perception is, oh, if you paint, you're, you're gay. It was, you know, it was, I was huh. chided about that on numerous occasions and even sometimes bullied for, for being artistic. Yeah. Um, in youth group and in spaces like that. But yes, I have found that a lot of my um, homeschooled peers were very artistic and I think it, I think being homeschooled gives you this, well, I think for starters, it kind of gives you this self-motivating drive. Like mm. if you want to succeed at school, it's kind of, you're kind of going to have to do the work. Yeah. Um, if you don't want to, you don't have to, but, but you may not graduate. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Which was stressful, but I think also just gave me this impetus of like, I want to paint and I'm going to just absorb myself with, with painting. Yeah. Um, and it also was a beautiful escape. Um, mm -hmm. Growing up gay in those circles, um, having the luxury of time. Um, mm. I wouldn't get yelled at if I was in math class and I was doodling. So I doodled all I wanted. Um, mm -hmm. And it was a beautiful escape. I could just... I could, um, I could do what I wanted with my, with my time and schedule. Um, 
in a way that other people I didn't see getting them that flexibility. So I think that was a blessing. Yeah. That's so interesting. I I only have outside experiences with homeschooling, but um, I weird. figured it would provide something unique <laughs> for your development. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It does. Well, a, a good friend of mine um, has this little like joke litmus test of is somebody gay or are they homeschooled? Because he, mm-hmm. he has this theory that being homeschooled can give false gay readings. I... I have also sensed that like, Oh, he's so nice to me. Is, was he homeschooled? Is he gay or is he homeschooled? (laughs) I feel like it could be a great um, reality show. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, The logistics of that seem difficult to, we'll work on it. All right. Um, We'll put that on the, the life on side B uh, network of, of entertainment. Great. Just don't get me next. to be on that reality show, please. <laughs> well, you can't now. You've been on the podcast. You've already outed yourself. You're right. You're right. As both. As both. Um, is the kind of art you produce, I know I've seen some of your, your paintings, is the art you produce a way to work out some of the tensions Mm. of the different worlds to which you belong or um i guess the the different pressures uh experiences that feel sort of at odds yeah absolutely um and i guess i guess to better explain that story allow me to like kind of rewind and yeah and explain how I found myself where I'm at today. So, um, and I'm, I'm assuming y'all are going to embed some, some images of my work. Sure. Um, Yeah. And so, so, so the, the, the form of art that I do is very inspired by, um, Byzantine art or what we know today as of Eastern Orthodox or Greek Orthodox art. Um, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't call myself an iconographer, although sometimes I do iconography. Um, but it's heavily influenced by religious forms of art. And so what I like to say is when, when I, um, when people say, well, what, what kind of, what genre do you fall into? Or what, you know, what, what form of art do you, do you fall into? I like to explain that I am exploring the theme, themes of sexuality and faith and embodiment through the lens of traditional religious art forms, specifically mm-hmm. traditional Christian art forms but using those traditional forms to talk about contemporary, contemporary discussions. Yeah. So I guess to put, to put hands and feet to that, um, one of my favorite painters is the name, it it was named Stanley Spencer. And he lived in the, um, in England, in the UK, I think he, I want to say he died in maybe the 50s or the 60s, but he lived through both wars. And he was in the first war, um, World War I. And I first came in contact with his work. Um, I was in, I was in London. I was in the Tate, Britain. And I'm walking through. And um, 
I I love going to art museums, but I, I'm I'm not impressed by a lot of art, and I don't mean that to be a snob. I mean it's just that different things are going to impact different people in different ways, For sure. and so the the trick is to really be curious about what is impacting you and why. Don't try to be you know. One of my big pieces of advice to younger painters, musicians, writers, is just don't don't try to be curious about everything, but be curious about what you're curious about and why, and chase you know chase that rabbit down the rabbit hole. And so, I'm going through the Tate Britain, and I see this massive twenty foot long painting. I mean, it's it's almost a mural. But it's it's on a canvas and in a frame, um, so it's like billboard size, and it's the weirdest painting. It's we see um, it's a big sprawling scene. It's a church graveyard, but we see like people crawling all over the place. We see them crawling out of graves. We see them just walking around. We see them just seated, hanging out, chatting. A group of them are crossing a, a small river behind the church. And it just looks like a, a very quaint, traditional, small, you know, small town, um, English church, church and graveyard. And yet it's jam-packed with people. And you're like, this is so bizarre. Um, and it's painted in just a very, very curious style, very, um, it was like, it was like the artist knew exactly what he wanted to say. So he just said it and didn't really worry about whether it was said super articulately or not. He just put it there. Mm -hmm. Um, And the more that I just sat with it, and thankfully they had a bench right there because I just needed to sit with it, right? Yeah. I just sat and studied it. And you start to see little things in it, little reunions that are happening between people. Um, so Cookham is near the airport. Cookham is near the airport, and... It's this small rural town, and turns out Spencer was from this town. Spencer was deeply religious, and he's trying to capture in the painting what the resurrection would look like if it was embodied in his own experience of being from a small rural town in England. Yeah. And I was really struck by that piece emotionally because he's taking these grand theological storylines and, and um, beliefs and conviction, but embodying them in the simplicity of his quaint rural upbringing. Mm -hmm. um, and this is something that I've already had my kind of antennae up for in the past, but seeing how people are in, are portraying deeply religious themes but using their own language mm -hmm. using their own 
um, experiences. And so the more that I've spent time with Spencer's work, um, I've just fallen in love with this guy. He's, I mean, he's passed now, but um, that's something you'll notice about me as I refer to these artists as if they're still alive because I just, I spend time with them at the, yeah. at the museums. That um, sounds deeply Christian to me. <laughs> it's like the artistic version of like being with the saints, I guess. Yeah. Um, so Spencer, and we see this in so many of his pieces, Spencer's doing this with World War I. He'll be talking about the life in the trenches, but then at the same time be talking about Judgment Day. Um, he'll be talking about the crucifixion, but at the same time he's talking about, um, he's talking about British snobbery um, and, and, and kind of the struggle of, of rural of just the rural folks. Um, and so it, it just, this has kind of fallen into a long trajectory of mine of really trying to have a, have a keen, keen eye for how people are doing this, of, of merging their different experiences. Um, mm. And so, and especially for him, he, as, as a, as a, um, religious painter living during a very complicated time yeah. in British history where it was becoming increasingly more and more anti-theistic. And he as a painter is openly talking about his faith um, just in a really endearing way, in a really, really yeah. endearing way. So It's, it has given me a lot of courage to ask the question, what does it look like to, um, bring all of these weird disparate parts of my own life together and try to paint that, try to tell that story. Yeah. And it means being frustrated a lot of times because you really wrestle through how, how to, to tell this story. Sometimes I think I succeed. Sometimes I drive myself nuts. Yeah. I think, I can't remember where I heard this. It was probably, I don't know, a podcast or something, but talking about the idea of synthesizing like disparate elements mm. into one thing. Mm -hmm. I think that's so much of, of art but i think yeah. especially what you're talking about with your work like synthesizing mm -hmm. the different areas of your life into a single whole and what would that look like yeah i know does that strike you as right absolutely and i don't think there's um i don't think there's one particular i think it requires a little bit of wrestling I don't yeah. think art in our very social media driven world, um, art has really suffered because art requires struggle. It requires the, it is a, it is a, um, a childbirth, so to speak. You have to go through the difficulty of it. And in our world, it says that you should be, you know, shipping all the time. You, know, um, you should be finishing a piece. You should be, putting it out there all the time. Um, nobody seems to have the 
I guess I'll put it this way, that the art is lacking the depth where, uh, of, of, a, of a piece that is just, it's gone through the struggle. You've had to wrestle through. Sorry, my roommates are, that was our smoke alarm. We can keep that in, probably. <laughs> comic relief. Hashtag real life. Yeah. Um, our art is suffering, and the message is suffering behind it because it hasn't been tested. Mm-hmm. And when you look at when you look at you know famous pieces of music that were really um, they were born through long you know like long, long struggles. Um, and it doesn't have to be years, but you know, months and months on end of the, of the artist wrestling through what is this? How do, I, how do I make it say this instead of this? And just analyzing it from every angle. Those people, you know, that, I think that, that art, it transcends time. Mm. It truly transcends time, but you have to wrestle with it. It has to be born through yeah. struggle. Yeah. Yeah, and I think there's a slowness to both creating good art and enjoying mm-hmm. good art. Mm-hmm. It can't be like rushed or or instantaneous. It can't be sped up. Um, yeah. Yeah, it forces you to sit with it, or mm-hmm. it, it invites you to sit with it. I think it does force you. It okay. forces by intrigue. Okay, tell me more. So, um, I think this is the difference between propaganda and good, what we call fine art, right? Okay. Um, propaganda tells you what to think. Um, fine art asks you questions and they ask you in such a question where they haunt you where you almost feel like you don't have a choice but to like sit right in front of that painting and that's why I say not every piece of art is going to interact with everybody the same way Um, but it's it's making yourself available to it right it's having the dialogue with it. I think there's. I think there is a benefit too of listening to pieces of art that I don't. I personally don't mm-hmm. find interesting. Um, but but I think there's you know pieces that have stood the test of time. Um, pieces that don't just. You know, I'm I'm thinking about like the um, the communist posters of mm-hmm. like the '60s. Um, that are, it's a fun aesthetic, but they're not saying, like, they're very banal and they're, they're very surfacey, right? Whereas, um, whereas like a Medigliani or, or a, or a um, Caravaggio, you sit with it and you're bothered and mm-hmm. you're, I love Baroque. I love the Baroque period. And, um, just the morbidity of a Caravaggio, the, the drama of it all. Mm-hmm. And you just sit there going like, gosh, 
there's so much going on here. And you just, there's not an instantaneous, like, it's a communist poster. You, you, it, it jars you. It just, it, it needs to disturb you. Mm-hmm. Um, side note, this is one of the big reasons why I, I often feel so repulsed by queer art is it's so surface level. It's so very often. And I've seen artists who are doing well. Mm-hmm. Um, but too often I've seen it being um, it says one thing. Mm-hmm. It's It's very like Hey, I'm gonna put a rainbow in there and call it queer art. I'm gonna, mm-hmm. um, I'm going to. I, I see a lot of of queer art that's very much like it. Almost looks like it's just painted from like a a porn still, <laughs> like a like yeah. a, a still from a porn video. And it's just like this is not saying any. It's just not even good. It's not saying anything. Um. And I think there's there's a sadness to that that it's 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 like a loss of it's a loss of somebody's voice to say something just banal and meaningless mm. as opposed to really asking those those hard questions yeah I think the ability to create that kind of art that says more than one thing that's more holistic Mm -hmm. it takes a lot of i imagine it takes a lot of even spiritual discipline like a lot of becoming as a person yeah i don't know i mean i i do different art i guess and i i wouldn't say that i'm a fine artist i i write things it's a form i feel like i feel like that takes a lot of inner work yeah to be able to write something that i'm really proud of yeah what i mean what kind of inner work has your work (laughs) required of you what what kind of questions has it forced you to ask what does it force you to wrestle with maybe even specifically as a queer person Mm -hmm. a queer person of faith Mm -hmm. What are the kind of conversations that your art has has drawn out right. of you? That's a really good question. I mean, a lot of therapy. <laughs> yeah. A lot of meditation. A yeah. lot of meditation. Um, antidepressants and anti-anxiety meds. <laughs> Shout um, out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, a lot of really amazing friends who I can trust deeply to steward my story well. Um, and, and I think, and then in books and books of journaling, Mm -hmm. like a whole library of journaling, um, and then I think also approaching the canvas 
from a perspective of of asking questions. You know, if the if the painting is going to ask questions to the viewer, um, I, as the painter, also have to be humble enough to ask questions of it. Yeah. Right. And so I think it is a it is a very humble act of laying down the ego, on a repeat like it is a discipline of laying down the ego. Um, in talking to the painting, talking to Christ as I talk to the painting, um, and almost treating the painting as if it's telling me what it wants to say, as opposed to me demanding that it say something. Um, and so I, I guess a, a piece that I'm working on right now, um, I've been commissioned to do an icon um, for a local businessman here in, um, in San Diego. And I've been, you know, working on it and, and just really frustrated with how Christ's face looks so irritated. And it's supposed to be Christ the Good Shepherd in the center with Jacob, the patriarch, looking mm-hmm. to Christ, and then Evagrius, the desert father, looking to Christ. Um, wow. In their weakness, right? The David or, uh, Jacob, the patriarch, was very self-reliant, kind of a jerk. And he's looking to Christ, leaning on his staff from his limp. And Evagrius is alone, kind of decrepit in his his um, cloister, looking at Christ. And Christ is carrying a sheep, with with a you know with a face of, of gentleness. And so I think what this work has looked like for me is really wrestling with the painting. Of the painting is telling me, um, you're you're painting Christ looking very annoyed. Um, as, as a friend of mine, I asked a friend of mine, what do you think about this? What, like, what, what do you think Jesus's face is showing? And he said, well, it looks like he works um, a lot of, he, he's really poor. He works a lot of hours as, as like a, in a service job position. And he just comes home and he's tired. And he's just telling his kids, if I snap at you, don't take it personally. I'm just worn out. Mm-hmm. And I have to have the humility as the painter to go, that's what the painting's telling me. Now, do I leave the painting there? No, not necessarily, because that's not what I'm wanting to express. But I'm having to be honest as the painting's telling me back what I'm, it's a mirror, right? Mm. This is how I'm feeling about Christ. This is, this is what I'm bringing to the canvas and the canvas is telling me Joel you have a a a um a view of the Christ that he is begrudgingly carrying you as as a sheep mm. he's very annoyed with you he feels very um preoccupied and you're just messing up his schedule he doesn't have a ton of time for you mm. and so trying to be a humble, self-aware painter and going, okay, that's not what I want 
that's not, I mean, just on a business level, that's not the painting I want to turn into this client, but <laughs> yeah. also on a, on a, on a personal level looking within and going, you know, that is how I often feel about Christ. And so returning to the, to the, the, um, the peace and being more mindful of the ideas I'm carrying about Christ. Um, what he promises to be true. I, sp I just spent a bit of time in, in the passages in John where he's talking about my sheep know my voice. They hear my mm. voice. And, and, and kind of needing to steep myself in those truths and then return to the canvas so that that's coming out as opposed yeah. to just the subconscious that is so afraid that my own yeah. dad issues are just the, the paint is just revealing my own dad issues. Yeah. I hope that answers your question. That, that did. I appreciate how you've answered all the questions in slant. <laughs> I think that's yeah. helpful. Yeah. I answered in my way. I like it. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. Um, I am wondering, it, it seems the way you speak about the creative process, mm -hmm. it can be really forming um, if there's like intentionality mm -hmm. and patience. Yeah. And it also has a capacity to be really malforming. Yeah, um, it can be. Like it's, it's a potent, mm -hmm. it is a, a powerful tool. Mm -hmm. I wonder specifically for like many of our listeners mm -hmm. who are at some of the same intersections you are yeah. um, when it comes to faith and sexuality um, specifically, I wonder what that kind of creative process has to offer mm. them, mm -hmm. us. I'm going to say us. Mm -hmm. um, not as like a, like a, a magic bullet, like a, right. but I think it can really shape us in some really positive ways. Yeah. And I know you're, you've probably thought a lot about this as you've experienced that kind of shaping yourself yeah. as a queer person of faith. But yeah, what, what do you think that creative process can offer us? So I would just want to start off by saying, I, I'm sure there's a lot of people who are listening to this who are saying, Oh, I'm not creative or, Oh, I wish I was creative. Um, and I just want to call BS on that because <laughs> all of us are creative we're just gifted in different ways. Um, you don't have to teach a child to be creative. They're just creative. Mm -hmm. um, our school systems teach children to stop being creative. Mm. Um, I think many of us have experiences within, um, within the church that have taught us to stop being creative. And Brene Brown has some just beautiful work to, to, to say on, on how vulnerability 
um, is so intrinsic to the creative process because it's about putting something out there. And I think what I would want to challenge all of the, the, the listeners and just all of us with is what are those things that you're afraid to, to say and to do? Mm. Um, whether it's writing, um, whether it's just being a better friend. Um, I, I think the creativity can touch so many different fields. Um, and I think if we are more and more aware of how of all of the barriers that are at play in showing up and giving that gift to the world, um, I think it will both make us less creative, but it will also make us more self-indulgent mm. within what we do. Um, <clears throat> that's something that I see in a lot of art that's being cranked out these days is it says it's it says more about people's egos than it does actually giving a gift to the world mm. um, Andy Crouch who's a brilliant writer on creativity on community on technology um, talks about creating cultural goods and how there are cultural goods that are created that are promote the thriving in our world. Um, that's like build, that, are, that, that are building us towards new creation. And then there are cultural goods that are diminishing that and making us less human. Mm. And so I think when I look at art, and I'm just... I'm saying art, I'm saying my paintings, but I think for, for you, this could be writing, this could be this podcast, it could be anything, right? It's anything that we are doing. It's our relationships. Our relationships mm -hmm. can be cultural goods. They are cultural goods too. Um, it's the types of communities that we're creating or in some regards not creating by our own brokenness that's just being carried mm -hmm. out over and over. But just the realization this is a good, like it is a, it is a, it is a good, right? It is a um, cultural product. And it's either a cultural product that's building up or it's diminishing. Um, and I'm not trying to make that in a very like black and white. I'm just, if I'm creating from a place of self-indulgence and ego, um, it's, it's just, I mean, simple thinking, it's, it's probably not going to, to be as uh, um, touching and it's mm -hmm. in the gift that it gives other people. Um, if I'm painting from a place of really wrestling through, like with this icon, really wanting to give something sincere, say something sincere and, and true and beautiful about Christ the Good Shepherd, um, that, that has a power to it. And it will go out into the universe and it will be um, fruitful. Mm. So I think it is, it's 
being creative is about being aware, living in the mindfulness of how potent all of our actions really are in, in either building the kingdom or in diminishing our humanity. That applies to all of us. You don't have to paint to do that. Yeah. That feels very, I think maybe people can think about the creative process as sort of restricted mm -hmm. to just this one very small slice of life. Mm -hmm. But it's really much more all-encompassing than that, isn't yeah. it? Oh, it's, it involves every sector of life. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's so encouraging and challenging. So challenging. Oh gosh, I'm creating art all the time, just like with my living. Mm -hmm. Ugh, I'm, am I creating bad art? Am I? Mm. So many questions. I think, I think to be um, queer and, and more specifically to be a queer Christian who's wanting to follow Jesus in a, um, according to traditional discipleship, um, is, it requires creativity. Mm. Because you find yourself in a, um, Makoto Fujimura talks about, mm. in, in his book, um, Culture Making, um, sorry, Culture Care, Culture Making is Andy Crouch's book. <laughs> Makoto Fujimura talks about, um, this term called Merkstapa that I think was like old Germanic and it, it meant a border stalker. And it's somebody who doesn't really belong in, you know, in, in, in ancient feudal, like medieval Europe, you'd have these little tiny areas and most folks were eking by for survival. Mm -hmm. um, very agrarian. And you just stayed in your little area. And so you lived in these little tiny borders and you just farmed and you lived in your little village and you just didn't get out much. People weren't privileged with that. But you had these people called the Mirkstapa or the border stalkers and they were the, they were your traveling circus. They were your, your trades people. Um, they were traveling artists. They were um, the bards. You know, they were, they would go between these areas, giving a good, right? Or selling a good, trading a good. And they didn't really belong to this fiefdom and they didn't really belong to this fiefdom. They didn't belong here. They just, they traveled between them all. And, um, I think it's Maya Angelou that, who, who just said something really beautiful about you won't belong anywhere until you learn that you, that you belong nowhere. Mm -hmm. um, and how there's this place of realizing like, oh, I don't, it's okay to not belong. It's, it's okay to not be fully represented by any of these tribes. And, and when you come to that piece, that's when you realize the gift that you get to give to all of them. Mm. And so these, uh, Fujimura talks about these, these 
oftentimes um, rejects or, or they just didn't fit, right? They may mm-hmm. not be rejects, but they just they didn't stick in, in one in one area. Um, they were the the blood flow. They were the the circulatory system of of whole regions and bringing new ideas and taking old ideas to people who needed those those old ideas and just mm. bringing those ideas back and forth bringing the cultural goods back and forth and i think that we as um I, i'll make this personal i think me as a celibate gay christian a celibate queer christian have this have this unique gifting of not belonging because yeah. i get to be a border stalker yeah. I get to take the treasures from one one land that they trade with me and take to another land. And I get to take their treasures and take them back. And I get to um, take one group's ideas and take it to the other group and back and forth. Um, I love that. And so I think it just requires creativity. I think the kind of community communities we're trying to build require creativity. I think the types yeah. of relationships we're trying to build require creativity. No one has done this before. You have to be the first. But I think of a whole bunch of artists throughout history who were the first. Yeah. And now everybody's copying them. <laughs> and then I do kind of get annoyed when I see Van Gogh all over everything. I love okay. him, but he's kind of become just he's become commercialized but think about it there was not a van gogh until there was a van gogh mm-hmm. and i think being being queer in in this church space we don't have an option you you are creative whether you like it or not it all depends on how you steward it yeah that image is definitely going to stick with me the border stalker it's a good the circulatory one. system. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's phenomenal. Yeah. That's so hopeful. I think we need hope. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. I think we really yes, need we do. hope. Um, I didn't want to, to not talk through at least some of your, some of your work. Yeah. I know it's all been sort of theoretical, mm-hmm. um, our discussion until now, but um, I've encountered some of your work. Um, I'm not familiar with all of it, but I've, mm-hmm. there's a few pieces that I really, really love. And I'd love to hear some of, I don't know, some of the conversation that made those pieces. Yeah. Um, I'll save... I'll save my personal favorite maybe for last, but okay, great. Uh, one of I think your, I think it was earlier one of your earlier paintings was uh, the male Madonna with child. Mm-hmm. Um, it's earlier than a lot of the work that I I've been familiar yeah. with, um, and so it's it's I wouldn't have known it was a Madonna, yeah, if it wasn't named yeah. male Madonna with child. Um, so an image 
um, once once I know, saw the name, I was like, oh, this is this is Joseph and mm-hmm. baby Jesus. This, mm-hmm. uh, which is an image I don't think we see right. very often. Right. What was the what was the process, the thought process behind that piece? Yeah. Um, and and I'm going to try to answer this best as I can because I don't always. I don't always know what the thought process is. Mm-hmm. It's more just an idea that I have to do. Like, yeah. um, I feel sometimes like I don't have an option. Like it's, it's sort of like the, um, the concept or the, the painting wants to be painted. Yeah. So I, I have, you have to get it out. Like you have to put it on the canvas. Yeah. So uh, I think what I was what I was really thinking through at that time was um, well something that I've been thinking through from from for so much of my life um, being queer being raised in an intensely um, traditional patriarchal community where masculinity was intensely one thing and one thing only and anything else was like there was there was a sense of shame about like oh absolutely that not that would that would not be masculine at all yeah being a painter being a painter yes but also just the concept of of like um the mothering aspects of god yeah uh it it just would have made people so uncomfortable. And so I, I, I can be a little bit of a renegade and I can kind of be a little bit of like a, a protester with my yeah. art sometimes. Like yeah. sometimes I do things and say things that are really like a stick it to the man. Right. For sure. Um, and I just was, I was both enamored with this idea, but I also just needed to put it on the canvas of taking this beautiful, traditional theme that's come up countless times in Christian art of celebrating femininity, and rightly so. We should. We ab- absolutely should. And how... Just there's a there's a beautiful poetic discussion there of Christ as so fragile and then the mothering heart of Mary, but also the mothering heart of God, because God is like entrusting himself as a baby to Mary, and there's fragility, but there's it's just a lot. Like yeah. it's there's there's a lot happening there. Um and we see the we see Imago Dei expressed through Mary's femininity. It's it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. But, but thinking through how we don't celebrate femininity within traditional forms of masculinity, and so tender nurture, you know, something so tender and nurturing as like a. a a father holding his child on his bare chest, this, you know, that skin on skin and, and that like 
it's you know not wanting to depict him in a traditionally like machismo way mm-hmm. um, but wanting to use you know it's very floral it's very <laughs> colorful um, yeah. and so I don't know I was just really intrigued by that the poetry there um, for lack of a better term there's just a je ne sais quoi about a you know certain <laughs> something so, yes, literally, just a something, you know. Just a, a thing. Um, about certain ideas that you just have to chase. Yeah. And so I had um, a good friend who, his son was an infant, and I just, I asked them if they would model for me. Because um, mm. I loved watching how this friend would just tenderly hold his son, and it was... Yeah, it said it said a lot to me about about God and about how God sees us, yeah. and how I wish that I believed that God saw me. Yeah, don't always believe that, but how I wish that I believed. For sure. Yeah, that's good. Um. There's so much more to talk about with that. Um, but because we have limited time, I'll move on to another one. Um, there was one you painted since I met you. Mm-hmm. Um, I met you a few years ago. Mm-hmm. But um, I think you texted it to me as it was finished. Um, I think it's, uh, I can't pronounce the Latin, Eke Homo? Eke Homo. Eke Homo. Yeah. Eke homo. Um, Maybe it's Eche, I don't know. I, I don't know. Eh. Um, but it's just this, it feels very wild, Yeah. this scene. just feels like this man is thrown, his hair, like, mm-hmm. on, on the ship in the middle of a storm. There's people around him. Mm-hmm. It's a very chaotic mm-hmm. sort of scene. Um. And I felt very drawn to his face in particular. Um, But it's in the middle of this, at the storm at sea. Yeah. Um, Yeah. What, what sort of, what was the process in in painting Mm -hmm. that piece? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this painting was, um, I'd been mulling over this idea for several years um, and just depicting that moment of Christ asleep um, in the in the boat with the disciples frantically um, trying to to make sense of of the situation while he's sleeping there um, and I'd gone through so many iterations of it and tried to tell it from this perspective and tried to tell it from that perspective and it just didn't, it didn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more that I journeyed with it, it was, it just, it felt necessary to tell it from the perspective that I did, which is from the top down, looking down into the boat. Yeah. Um, from almost a bird, like above, like a bird's eye view. But really 
zoned in on, on the chaos of the moment. And Christ isn't awake. Christ is asleep. Mm-hmm. Um, and just wanting to fe- wanting to capture the feeling of the fear, of the terror and the dread. Um, I started this piece as everything was starting to shut down with the pandemic. Mm. Um, and so, I mean, there's multiple ways we could look at the painting, like, oh, and like, I, I sometimes imagine, like, people talking about my art and, and some yeah. fictitious... This was, this was your pandemic phase. Your, yeah, yes. Your pandemic era. <laughs> yes, you know, some college professor talking to her students and some university and 300 years i hope that's not arrogant of me i mean (laughs) maybe it is (laughs) um and they're analyzing my work and blah 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 (laughs) Um, that may that may be like super like super arrogant anyways um i just needed to capture all the details the 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 feeling of the water the the Mm -hmm. splashing the wetness of Christ's hair, just the, the, the soaked the soakedness of the the disciples' clothes that are like clinging to their just cold, shaking mm-hmm. bodies. I'm, I'm looking over there because that's where the painting is. <laughs> um, and I, I I one of the themes that comes up over and over in my paintings is my fear, my own mm. sense of frailty and my own fear of, of being frail and just feeling so overwhelmed mm. and just overloaded by everything and asking the question of, of does anybody see this? Is anybody witnessing this moment of chaos? And so I, I really, um, yeah, I, I wanted to paint uh, this, the chief disciple who's kind of in the, in the focal point as not looking at Christ, but looking up at the skies, almost in the sense of like, I guess we were abandoned. Mm. Um, I guess this guy who's not waking up is not who he said he was. Mm. Um, and we know the end of the story, but they didn't in that moment. Yeah. And it's really easy to say, um, uh, I'll put it this way. I had an artist several years ago kind of chide me he scolded me and said i really don't find your art very hopeful (laughs) (laughs) the more that i thought about that i thought it was hilarious um he said where's the hope in your art and it's funny because i actually really appreciate this guy i think he's super wise um but i was just like i don't i don't even know what to respond to that um but Grant, I think it's that it, it's we we have to we have to be very honest about what those moments of sheer panic felt like, 
prior to Christ waking up. Yeah. Because I would have been losing it. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a very fearful person and I don't love that about myself. Mm. And it's really easy for me to, to just constantly be living in a spot of feeling like I've been abandoned. And I think we have to, we have to tell that story honestly. We have to put it on there honestly. And it was just an interesting moment to be painting this during the pandemic. When everything um, was in chaos. <laughs> everything was in chaos. But I'd already been feeling like I was in chaos. Um, yeah. Just, yeah, I had moved to San Diego shortly before this. I'd come out, like official, officially fully come out. Um, yeah. And then the whole title, Eke Homo, is this is what Pilate says to the crowds when he says, hey, behold the man. Here you go. And there's almost an irony in that of like, behold him. Behold him in his weakness, asleep in the bottom of the boat. Yeah. Behold him. And, and this is the Savior of everything like this is the redeemer but his frailty is almost a stumbling block too often because we're looking for something grand mm -hmm. and i think i've been abandoned because he's just too like he's not what i was looking for yeah he's asleep and sleeping quite hard like yeah. he's zonked out he is out yeah but we're not abandoned I think the painting, if you sit with it, has the capacity to call something like hope out of you. Mm. Like there's got to be like, this is such, this is a, mm. such a painful and bleak scene Yeah. in some ways. Yeah. And like for those of us who know who the man is, mm. Mm -hmm. it it like requires a response mm -hmm. from us yeah. like an engagement like really wrestling with that that moment yeah. but also it it requires something like hope in us yeah. which is so good it's, yeah. it's a beautiful it's a stunning a stunning painting thank you um Okay, I, I couldn't I couldn't leave without asking about my favorite. Okay. Which is the eunuch. Yes. I so I saw this painting. I think I saw this before Ekehomo. Mm -hmm. Um and I immediately recognized the the biblical reference mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. of the eunuch. Um, and the dry tree in Isaiah 56. Yeah. Uh, let not the eunuch say, I'm just yeah. a dry tree. But um, to the eunuchs who, who um, what is it, who observe my Sabbaths, mm -hmm. I will give to them a, a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. Yeah. 
Like I, I it's yeah. one of my favorite passages. I, I, it's beautiful. I've lived in that passage for mm-hmm. a while. I love that passage. So I see this um, very live, slender, maybe frail is the word, kind of a frail man holding mm-hmm. up like um, a piece of, of parchment or something with a painting mm-hmm. of the tree behind him, which is barren, but the mm-hmm. painting is in it like is luscious and green. Yeah. And I, I mean, this seems like a very hopeful painting. Was this, was this person looking at this painting when he said, when he said that he didn't see hope in your paintings, <laughs> because this one feels very hopeful. So I'm looking up at the painting right now. Okay, I was like, are you rolling your eyes? <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not rolling my eyes. I'm looking at the painting. Um, I think I think every painting is kind of a is a juggling is it is kind of is juggling both hope and despair, at least for me. Yeah. Uh, at least for me, because um, I think it says a lot about that says a lot about my life is this feeling of being swallowed up in the chaos. Yeah. but also holding on to the hope. I don't know. When I look at the painting, I don't see a lot of tangible hope. I mm. see a glimmer of hope. Mm. Um, but I think different people see it different ways, and I don't think there's one wrong or one right way to look at the painting. Yeah. Um, I painted this... Yeah, I painted it before Eke Homo. And I, I mean, like I said before, it's kind of hard sometimes to articulate where these things were coming from other than the fact that, like, they were ideas that I had to depict. Yeah. Um, and given this place that I was at, in this moment, I was very lonely. I had moved to San Diego just several months before the pandemic breaks out. This was like early pandemic that I started painting this. Um, I'd st- I think this I'd actually- This st- pandemic era. Yeah. <laughs> I'd actually started it before the pandemic and then everything happened. Um, And it just, I, I think maybe the best way to describe this painting is um, several years ago, I was living in Cincinnati and just yeah. deeply depressed mm-hmm. um, in a church that I was pretty closeted in, working at a really conservative Christian organization, um, very closeted. I was afraid I was going to lose my job mm. if I came out. Um, and really feeling lonely every time, especially every time the holidays would roll around. And just feeling the sense of like bleakness and intense, um, desolation I think is the best word that I can come up with just of like 
There's nothing to show for any of this. I just feel like I'm in this in a constant winter wasteland. Um, and I, I was able to s- just vocalize that in, in all of the bluntness to a friend of mine. Um, and I just said to her, I don't know that I'll be around much longer. Like, I, I don't know how I can last much longer. If this is what the holidays hold, I can't, I don't, I can't. Um, and I, I, th- I think that was kind of the sentiment with this painting was just this sense of like, the trees aren't producing fruit. Um, the baskets are empty. Um, The tree has no, no signs of life. It's bleak. It's lonely. It feels cold. It's just very, very cold. Um, and yet I'm, I'm given this hope. I'm given this promise. I'm given this um, encouragement to pray and seek Jesus and believe. But it feels like it's so frail. Like it's on just paper that looks like it's going to crumble. Um, and there, there's a, there is a little bit of defiance there, right? Like we, we continue to create, we continue to paint. Yeah. And so I painted this as almost like a, a prayer to Jesus of just, hey, you said, yeah. you promised. Um, and... And I guess because I don't want to leave y'all on like a super low note, let me um, leave things a little bit more encouraging. Since then, and since the pandemic, um, Jesus has has brought together queer brothers and sisters, and just out of the woodwork. And it all started with a with a um, straight pastor who I was really good friends with, who I didn't even know he's a pastor. Um, when I first met him, we were just in a run club together, and I came out to him, and he likes to say that he came out to me as a pastor, which I think is cultural appropriation. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> it's okay; he gets a pass. I disagree with him sure. all the time. He's like my favorite friend to disagree with. Um, so he came out to me as a pastor and um, I started sharing my art with him and this, the Eke Homo painting that we were talking about uh, moved him so much. And it really, it really moved him because he felt the loneliness that I feel within the church of trying to find a belonging and a sense of family and was so moved by that painting that he ended up sharing it in a, um, in a sermon um, and talking about just my life as a gay person. And through that, ended up having one of, one of the dudes at his church come out to him about how lonely he's been. Had another dude that he's known was gay for a long time. Um, he, he just, this, this friend of mine, Stephen, just started connecting us. And I became good friends this, with the younger guy at his church, um, who's, who he's known was gay for a long time, but like he's just, it was like all of these things were just waiting 
to be connected. And then we mm-hmm. became good friends with this older guy who's been in the closet for years. And then from there, um, our very own Greg Pikin, um, mm-hmm. I reached mm-hmm. out to him and was like, hey, several of us are getting together. He comes down and, and we just start, we just start coming together. And that has become a, um, what do you call when it's, bi- is it bi-weekly? When it's like not every week, but every other week? I, I think bi-weekly can mean both. And it, we'll call it bi-weekly. Um, we have been meeting faithfully <laughs> bi-weekly since the summer of 2020. Wow. And we have now tripled in size. Um, we have, beautiful. we have, it seems like new people coming every 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 time we call it family dinner um it has become such a blessing to my soul so i can faithfully say that that's where i was several years ago with this feeling like those baskets were empty and um, i don't feel that way although the 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 painting still stands as a prayer right for Christ to continue yeah. this work. And the fact that so many, probably of you listeners, are still feeling that. Um, but this is the work that the Holy Spirit does do when we are faithful in asking. And so that friend of mine who I was with several years ago that I just shared I, over Christmas that I didn't know that I could make it much longer, she was just, she was with us hanging out with the whole San Diego the whole SoCal crew in, in Dallas with Revoice. And she mm-hmm. said to me, um, Joel, are you aware of what's going on right now? And I was just like, what are you talking about? She was hanging out of the Airbnb and like it was just packed with people. I think we had like mm-hmm. 50 people at the Airbnb. <laughs> Probably not allowed. <laughs> Wait, was I, was I there? Was at this particular one? I don't think you I were there. I don't think I was there. Yeah. I don't think you were there. there. A couple but next next year. But you're invited. Next time. So she just says, do you look around? Look around. You said several years ago, Joel, I, I don't know how I'm going to live without family. And I'm alone. And I'm not going to survive. She said, look what Jesus has done. In just the last couple of years. Look what he's made. And here's the really cool thing, Grant, is a lot of folks come to Revoice alone and leave Revoice alone. And in the past, that has been me. And this last Revoice, I flew there with a close friend. We left together also. And we knew we were coming back to San Diego where within several days we would be getting together with the crew again. Yeah. And I'm not saying this to discourage or beat down people who don't have that right now. Mm-hmm. I'm wanting to encourage y'all by hearing there have been many agonizing prayers. These paintings show, they, they bear witness to that. But I also am seeing hope all the time. And I'm so encouraged by that. But we have to pray those hard, uncomfortable, sometimes cussy, sometimes angry <laughs> prayers. Yeah. 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 
and painting is my way of doing it. I think that is the perfect segue into our last question. We've right. asked this of a couple, a couple of our guests in previous episodes, but um, we've been thinking about what it would look like to take this communal knowledge that we're building mm -hmm. on this podcast and in our community at large mm -hmm. and pass it on to a younger generation, maybe people just realizing that they are queer. Yeah. Um, if you had, if you could say something to your younger self, a piece of advice, mm -hmm. guidance of some kind, um, say, I don't know, 13 years old. Yeah. That was the, that was the rough time for me. 13. <laughs> it's rough for me too. 13 is a rough year for everybody. Yeah. If you could say mm -hmm. something to your 13 year old self, what would you say? Wow. I mean, I, there's so there, there would be several pieces of information I would give I mean, probably first off, like you're not straight. Stop trying to be. Yeah. Um, yes, sure. <laughs> Sure, you sure. don't like that girl. Just stop pretending. No, you don't. <laughs> it's not. No, you just think she's cool. Um, oh, it's a really good question. It's a really good question. Um, oh. I want to do the question justice because it's such a beautiful question. And I know that there's many people out there that are listening to this that are probably closer to my 13 year old self than I am today. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that I would want my 13 year old self to hear just to be like it's okay to be afraid don't shame yourself for being afraid you don't know how to do this right you don't know how to to, to figure this out it's complicated it's overwhelming don't beat yourself up for not knowing what's going on um So that would be my first piece of advice. And then assuming that that didn't give him an anxiety attack and he's still listening, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I would want to tell him, don't give up on trusting people. Mm. You can't trust the people right around you right now. That doesn't mean you won't ever be able to trust people. Because mm. one of the vows I felt like I made in my early life that I'm now trying to undo with the help of the Holy Spirit is the vow that I won't trust people. 
And I would love for him to know that in some of the worst moments that would, that would lie ahead would be in those moments when it's all caving in, don't tell yourself, this is why we don't trust people. Mm. Just tell yourself, this is why we don't trust these people. <laughs> it doesn't mean people aren't trustworthy and it doesn't mean you won't have meaningful relationships. And I don't know that he would understand that. But he'd be like, why are you saying that? He, he would gonna probably happen? have a panic attack and just stare <laughs> at me. Um, and that would be fine because it's, it's more about the fact that I'm saying it today. Yeah. I'm saying it today. Yeah. And I'm still trying to unlearn a lot of those things. But I've unlearned them enough to know that I can imagine differently for myself. Yeah. Well, Joel, it has been a pleasure to chat with you. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure, pleasure to chat with you. Thank you so much for um, all the theoretical talk about mm -hmm. art and about faith and then the specific stuff about your life and your work. It's all been yeah. very encouraging. I can't wait to share it with our listeners. Thank you. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. Really. Um, before we go, I wanted to ask um, if any of our listeners wanted to look at more of your work, where can they find that? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at Joel Briggs Paints. Um, I had a website. It was too much maintenance, so I've taken it down. Um, but the the Instagram will do. It will do. Um, I'm really bad about posting on there, but you'll get some fun in-process stories sometimes, and you'll get more lengthy artist statements behind some of the paintings there. I also publish stuff every once in a while with the Rabbit Room pod, uh, the Rabbit Room website. Um, my work, tend, my artist statements tend to be a bit more uh, queer coded, and uh, it's more the straight versions of 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 um, the paintings. But it's it's all for the audience, so. Um, if you follow me on my Instagram, you can get the unedited, um, not queer coded. What's the opposite of not queer coded? Open, I guess. <laughs> Open artist statements. So follow me on Instagram. 